Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. And friends, I am super excited today. We've been talking to you for a while about doing this. We've been telling you it's coming up. We weren't sure when we can get started. Today, uh, the ducks are aligned. Everything's in a row. Today, we are starting on our podcasts about the Star Wars Rebels TV show. Uh, this is one I think uh, we love doing Clone Wars, uh, and we've had a lot of fun with the book club stuff, and the book stuff up will continue. New shows come out. We'll continue talking about those, but we're going to start watching what is, I think, one of my, if not my favorite Star Wars property, Star Wars Rebels, and I'm doing that just like I did with Clone Wars with Sarah and Riki Hayashi, and we'll have all of that after this commercial break. We have no control over Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. Riki and Sarah, we are finally here. We're talking Rebels. How y'all feeling? This is the best Star Wars TV show, bar none. That's my... Yeah. I'm just going to open this with this hot take. Better than The Mandalorian. Better than Clone Wars. Oof. I don't know what else is coming, but it's going to be better than those. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I, I have to say my hopes for the Ahsoka show and for the um, Cassius show, uh, Andor are both through the absolute roof, but I, I, I think that's a strong position and I can't, um, I can't, can't necessarily argue it. Yeah. I, I also love this TV show so, so much. Um, before we started watching it, a friend, uh, mentioned that like, he's like, Oh, the first season's kind of rough, but you know, it gets really good. And we watched the first no. episode. Yeah. It's amazing. Like if that's their version of, of rough, let me introduce you to <laughs> Star Trek. Or, like, a lot of other TV (laughs) series. Like, this one comes out, and there's, yeah, straight out out the gate, just fantastic. And, yeah, I'm so excited to be watching it and to be talking about it. I think a lot of that is credit to Dave Filoni, you know, who warped on Clone Wars. So then this was his his chance to get back into it. I think he had a lot of great ideas and, and had a lot of good people working with him. Yeah. I think that's really true, and I feel like in some ways, and, and don't worry, folks, uh, we're going to get into talking specifically about episodes one and two of the first season. We're doing a little bit of kind of overview to start with, but we're also, uh, some of you may have seen the show before. Some of you may be watching along with us for the first time, though I think it's going to be pretty hard for you to watch only two or three episodes a week because the show is very bingeable, but um, maybe you wait for us to kind of have a backlog, but don't worry, we won't be doing spoilers to a special spoiler section at the end. But yeah, I, I, just talking about it generally, I feel like, among other things, this show is the connective tissue I needed. You know, in, there's some ways in which I think I may enjoy Mandalorian better, uh, although I think it's very close. But I think, but I, I certainly understand why some people love this one. But I feel like so much of my great understanding, so much of my understanding of the larger Star Wars universe and how the pieces that I thought didn't fit fit together come from the show. Because it just does such a good job of bridging the time between the Clone Wars and the movies we already love, uh, the original movies, while also setting up a lot of the plot lines and, and helping to clarify a lot of the plot lines that were kind of hinted at before or that might be coming later. It just, to me, it's just the connective tissue. Yeah, it's, it's really great to see, to take a look at that aftermath of like w- what happened after order 66 basically i know we're not immediate aftermath we're like is it five years ten years oh, it's like 14 or 15 oh all right yeah um but still like relatively recent um yeah and and to just see and i i absolutely love that these are all or at least were all original characters to this franchise 
Um, wow. So we don't have any like, baggage, I guess, going yeah. in. Um, it's just sort of placing these characters in this world. Um, we know a lot of the context for what's going on in the background, but we really get to explore them and their reactions uh, to, yeah, to what's going on. Yeah. I, I think that's a wonderful point because I've said, and I think we've talked all about this, that one of the problems with the prequels is you know, there's never actually any tension in the Clone Wars TV show that Anakin or Obi-Wan or Yoda are going to die because, or Mace Window, or, you know, because we know they all make it to the third movie and probably far beyond. With this, this is, it, it's very much like Rogue One in that, that we know the general direction the story's going, and we know that because these characters don't show up in the original movies, their place in the universe has to sort of come to some sort of understanding of why they wouldn't, but, you know, you can't have one of them becoming, like, the, the head of the Rebel Alliance, which uh, is not making sense. But other than that, it's, it's just so much more wide open in a way that I really appreciate. But I think that also ties back to, uh, you know, the original trilogy, the main characters, Luke, Leia, and Han, are central characters, but they are also still not the leadership. You know, Mon right. Mothma is the de facto leader of the Rebellion. Admiral Akbar is the, the military leader. So right. the, the main characters of our story are still, you know, not necessarily the the biggest critical pieces of this political puzzle. Yeah, yeah it sticks with the the very Star Wars theme of like outsiders, one one special plucked from obscurity. Um yeah. and and goes along on that adventure with them. Which is and, yeah, it's it's great. It's a great return to form, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it, that's a great point, Ricky. That I hadn't thought of before because I my first reaction was going to be, but wait a minute. In the postquels, Leia is the head of the resistance and the rebellion, but then I remembered like, oh, but she's not really a main character anymore by then. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it really does hold true what you're talking about, uh, and certainly in those movies, there are conflicts with uh, the rebel leadership comes up once or twice. So. Let's get into these particular episodes themselves. What were your kind of general thoughts on these first two episodes? Just absolute bangers. From, from yeah. the get-go, um, things I want to bring up that will be a commonality, I think, throughout the series. But A, the music mm -hmm. is just like straight up John Williams, right? I, I guess maybe it's like adaptations or something. Right. But it is all of the themes that you recognize from the Star Wars movies. You know, the Imperial March theme. You get like some aspects of the the Luke Sunset Force theme mm -hmm. in here, and, and those are used again, like as often they are in Star Wars, as an additional character to give you that commonality of feeling, right? Like when the Empire's on screen, you hear the Imperial March, and then like yeah. you you know these are the bad bad guys. I, I was thinking that, you know, in the Clone Wars, by the end, characters like Darth Maul or the Night Sisters could certainly invoke a somewhat of a feeling of dread. But, you know, as we talked before about, like, the, the, the droids were so laughable, ridiculous, and most of the things, it, they, you could get them, but I never really had a sense of, like, sinisterness, intimidation. This, this opening on Vader, and by the way, a much better Vader than we get in um, the third prequel, um, you know, although we only get that Vader for, like, ten seconds, but still. No. You know, yeah, exactly. It just, there was such a sense of menace, you know, and the, 
when the Star Destroyers pull in, you know, overhead, like, I know yes. what that's like in a way that I just never connected to with Clone Wars. And again, that, like, tries to invoke the original A New Hope opening where the the blockade runner goes through the screen and then the Star Destroyer is, like, ten times as large. Right. And so this opens with a shot of, I believe, like, three Star Destroyers from below uh, mm-hmm. Two of them flying in one direction and one in the other, so it's like three triangles like converging, and it's and it's just so beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Like for for yeah. an animated uh, series, I think we don't often talk about the beauty of the shots per se, but I thought this was a beautiful shot to open on. Yeah, the yeah. the animation in Rebels, especially at the beginning, isn't fantastic, um, but. It's not like it's not a big deal because the story's so good, and it gets a lot mm-hmm. better as the as the series progresses, and presumably more money is being yeah, funneled yeah. towards it. I think there's a technological maybe deficiency mm-hmm. or like I mean this is 2014, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and like I do I agree with the like the shots being set up beautifully, and even like the little details of just using the wipes to change shots, mm-hmm. change locations is yeah tying it back to the the Star Wars franchise yeah, as a whole. Mm. Yeah, I think there's like the paint job on um, Sabine's Mandalorian armor, you know, is just so perfect. It, there's just all these little details that I think evoke the world so well. Let's, um, let, let, let's kind of go through some of the different parts of the show. And I think that I'll, especially because this is the opening, I want to kind of introduce us to the show and also go through how the show introduces us to each of the characters, which I also think is so well done. Like each character... You know, the Clone... I, I don't want to only compare this to The Clone Wars because I do think The Clone Wars is a wonderful TV show. But one, The Clone Wars is, in some ways, great. It's very much an ensemble show. There's probably 30 recurring characters or something like that between all the Jedi and then different uh, human figure or different, um, you know, Republic figures and different uh, Separatist figures and stuff like that. This is a much smaller cast. And it's it, the found family aspect of it. They specifically named that at one point, Sabine talks about how uh, this is her family is just one of the things I really love. For those of you, either just as a refresher or if you watched the show many years ago, but just want to remember, let's do a quick plot summary. Um, and I will do this one first. Uh, Enrique and Sarah, uh, we can kind of all just, you know, switch off doing these as we go on. So it's a two-part arc. And we'll just do it all as one. Um, and the main plot points are we're all, this is all happening on a planet called Lothal. Uh, Lothal. Lothal. Actually, Lothal. I'm sorry. Where, uh, among other things, this kid named Ezra lives. And Ezra is kind of introduced to us as a street rat. You know, he, that, that phrase is used, and so I immediately think of the movie Aladdin, <laughs> which is one of my favorite Disney movies, even though very problematic in some ways. Um, and he's, you know, he's that kind of, he cares about people, he wants to do right by them, but he also is going to, like, take what he can, you know, to support himself, and he's kind of a very much, like, out-for-himself guy. We'll, we'll get more into the character there, but so he... He runs into uh, this bunch of, I guess you could call them kind of proto-rebels. Like, they're definitely trying to fight the Empire, but they're not connected to anything bigger yet uh, or at all. And shenanigans happen. They wind up helping each other. He winds up being part of, becoming part of their crew, uh, or at least, like, for the moment. But they keep discussing whether or not they want to give him back or not. Um, and they eventually realize that they want to have, uh, they want to try and go on this mission to... Uh, say, no, I'm sorry, let me back up a second. Then. And what he comes to realize is that the, the caper that they all got connected through was stealing these crates. And 
Ezra wanted to steal one for himself. He thought they were just stealing them for themselves. But he comes to realize that they were actually stealing them as food to be able to go to this place called Tarkin Town, which is where a lot of, like, exiles and, and homeless and people who have been shunned by the Empire specifically ha have all go. And it's very much kind of a, you know, run down, not enough food, uh, total suffering kind of area. And so Ezra has kind of a moment of, like, maybe, you know, are these people more selfless than I thought? Can he be more selfless? And then he finds out that the next thing they want to do is go rescue these slave Wookiees who are being taken to Kessel to work in the Kessel mines as slaves. And he kind of gets dragged along on the mission. Um, he, he doesn't really want to take part at first, but he's going to help out a little bit. It turns out that the people on the mission get into a lot of trouble, and Hera, who's one of the people on the ship, has to really talk him into helping out. He decides to help out, and then as things go, he winds up getting caught. Uh, it's a pretty hopeless situation, but one of the other people on the ship, Zeb, has kind of a moment where he could, like, try to save him and probably a futile effort, but he's just like, sorry, kid, you did well. Um, once the crew finds out, though, that he was actually left behind, Zeb isn't entirely forthcoming about that at first, they go back, they rescue him, the shenanigans on both sides, um, and we, we get introduced to, like, a lot of figures on the uh, Empire side as well, which we'll get to. And eventually our heroes wind up rescuing all the Wookiees, uh, delivering them safely to Kessel and getting away from the Empire while having um, done some major damage to Imperial ships and Imperial facilities. And the, the biggest kind of reveal is that we've gotten a lot of great hints about it through the episode, but by the end of the episode you realize that A, Kanan himself, Kanan is the, one of the leaders of the ship, uh, is himself a former Jedi, or a Jedi is all we you know, kind of know but we know this is post-Order 66, and that Ezra has Force powers, and that he doesn't know that. He might know he has something, but we don't really know much beyond that. But And to some extent, we don't know exactly when they decided this, but to some extent, they were kind of testing him, both because to make sure that he was Force-powerful, but also to make sure he was worthy and could do the selfless thing, the right thing, and it ends with him kind of agreeing to become part of their crew and to let Kanan train him. What did I miss? So, one of the, the main Imperial baddies that we get introduced to is Agent Callus. Right. Um, it's not Agent. Is he Agent? Yeah. Yeah, and, and we're going to go through yeah. each of the characters. We're going to go through each of the characters one by one. Yeah, but the uh, mm -hmm. the initial attempting to free the Wookiees um, turns out to be a trap set by Callus. Oh, yeah. It's a trap. Yeah. To, uh, to get Ezra specifically, right? Not, not Ezra specifically. To get I think to get the, the these crew. rebels. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, he ends up with Ezra and uses him as bait to try and lure right. the rest of the rebels to uh, right. the ship that they're on. Um, and yeah, I think you said delivered them to Kessel when I think you maybe meant from Kessel. <laughs> but yeah. I think so the Wookiees are been... being taken to Kessel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. they save them. They collect them. Oh, yeah. They, they, they them take them away space. from Kessel. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's great because I think um, let's talk about kind of the main themes that are kind of being introduced. We somewhat talked about it, but like the way these, these episodes do that. Because one of the things I think it, that they they do a great job of, especially with Agent, uh, with Callus, is there isn't a rebellion at this point. There isn't any major group. But he, he gives this wonderful speech about how our, his job is to extinguish the very first spark that could later become a rebellion. Um, which 
I, I don't know if this was intentional, but then later in post-Cold movies, you know, they talk about, like, we are the spark that will light the fire that will start the rebellion again or whatever it is, you know? And so I just thought that's a... It's very interesting language that they use, but that becomes kind of one of the... I, I think that's kind of one of the main themes of the story here is that the Empire is still very much in control. There's no rebellion, but people like Agent Callus are already thinking there could be resistance at some point and we have to snuff it out immediately. Yeah. I mean, the episode is called Spark of Rebellion, right. um, which I think yeah, really leans into that theme. Are you, mm-hmm. I think you call them proto-rebels, which I think is also yeah. a, good, a good terminology. Yeah. Yeah, Agent Agent Callus is like from the, I guess, the Imperial Security Bureau. So I think, yeah, mm-hmm. his job, like you said, is snuffing out... The ISB, I, I think right. the initials were uh, taken to directly reference, like, the KGB. Mm. Mm, yeah, I can see that. Uh, but they are, and- they are, like, not only kind of the security force, but they're kind of, like, internal affairs as well. Like, they monitor yeah. uh, Imperials as well as look out for rebels. Right. Yeah, I think that... And some of the books have gone into this more, the idea that, uh, not canon books, they're legends books, but that are, you know, obviously influencing this, the idea that ISB is, you know, they're kind of always on the lookout for Jedi sympathies or anti-imperial feelings or, you know, all kind of things like that. And that's, I think, kind of the other big theme that, that at least I got from this is that, at least on the Empire side, that Callus is one of the two antagonists we're really introduced to. The other is, and this is that first scene I, I mentioned with Vader, that there's an Inquisitor out there. And the Inquisitors are tasked by Vader to, or this Inquisitor is tasked by Vader to hunt down any either Jedi who escaped Order 66, or I think he calls them like the future Jedi, you know, the people who could become Jedi to just make sure that this is always taken care of. And we just get a teeny bit of it, but I think we're kind of getting introduced to the idea that ISB and the Inquisitors have two different sets of goals. They're both working for the Emperor, but they may overlap sometimes, and they may come into conflict sometimes. Yeah, um, yeah, and the, like the Inquisitors are characters that we've been introduced to in other franchises as well. Um, like we get the the Second Sisters in Fallen Order, which we did a little review of um, mm-hmm. briefly. Yeah, and yeah, I I agree. I like and the do I don't even I don't know if we get his name yet. Do we this Inquisitor? I don't think so, no. But yeah, he's a an intimidating figure who only appears in, a, in hologram form at the very end of the episode. Um, and yeah, Callus is just le- looping him in that, hey, we've got a mm-hmm. Jedi on our hands. Yeah. So any other kind of big themes of the show we want to talk about or should we start going down the list of characters? Let's talk about the characters because that's sure. uh, so much of what I love about this mm. series. Yeah. I think these two episodes, I'd forgotten how much these two episodes just give each character enough to really tell you exactly who they are and help set them up for, for what's going to happen. So let's start with Ezra. Uh, what's kind of your feeling about Ezra? What do we learn about Ezra this episode? <coughs> Sorry. So, did you need like to take a little break or something, Matthew? You okay? I, I, I have a bottle of water here, so I'm okay. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Go ahead. Ezra, right off the bat, like the opening scene with him tells us a lot about his character he helps this um alien like fruit merchant escape Mm -hmm. from imperial stormtroopers but then like take some of his fruit he's like hey like i helped you out like i'm taking some of your fruit so that's like the 
the street rat Aladdin aspect, I feel like, you mm-hmm. talked about. But it, it shows, like, he, he has a central morality. Like, he is right. a good... <clears throat> excuse me, I got, I'm doing it now. He's a good kid, <laughs> but maybe is a little se- on the selfish side. Rightfully right. so, because of his upbringing. You know, as we find out, like, he has grown up without parents. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say selfish, but, like, self-preservationist? Yeah. Self-preserving? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I kind of feel like this guy has a whole barrel full of fruit, and he was probably about to go die before Ezra rescued him. You know, he was certainly going to get arrested and by the Empire, which isn't good for anybody. And then Ezra, you know, rescues him, and he says, cool, here's one fruit. You know, and I think, you know, Ezra could be very fair, saying, hey, listen, like, I did just help you out. I'm starving. Can I take some more? In fact, he actually just goes ahead and takes them while the guy's like, wait, what are you doing? Mm. So, yeah, I, I kind of feel like... Gotta it, steal between... you gotta eat to live, otherwise we get along. Oh. Yeah. My Great cabbages. reference. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> throw out all kinds of references. That's good. Exactly. I, I'm building yep. off the Aladdin thing because I, yeah, totally agree. <laughs> yep. No, you're taking us into a whole new world. I love it, Sarah. Uh, Thank you so much there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you opened that can of worms. <laughs> I rubbed that but one. Yeah, I... It, Sorry, I'll and stop. When... Yeah. <laughs> All right, no longer the Disney podcast. Oh. Yeah, so I, I just think, it, it, for me, it's, it's kind of halfway in between selfless and selfish. You know, I feel like he has a, a point there, but also he's, you know, he's that for himself. And I really appreciate that it isn't just they go to the planet, he sees that the crew is being selfless and helping these people, and he has a change of heart and everything's better. You know, he is still, he, he agrees with their methods, but he just thinks they're crazy because he thinks they're going to get killed, and he just doesn't want to die, yeah. which is understandable. And this is a point in time where I feel like in his character, they really show that the idea of fighting the Empire is so literally unimaginable that people aren't even considering it. Mm, totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, like he picks at the sides of the Empire, but would never consider fighting them. Yeah, or taking right. them down. That's right. just like right. crazy talk. Yeah, um, and I think like this is really exemplified when... Like, uh, it's Hera and Ezra on the the ship's not called the Ghost. The ship's called the Spectre. No, the ship is called the no, Ghost. The code names are Spectre. Okay, um, they're on the Ghost, and Hera realizes that this is a trap. They're being set up, so she like begs Ezra, basically, go in there, find them, tell them it's a trap, tell them to get out. And he's like, "No, nah, I'm good. Why don't we just leave? Like, let's. They're done. They're toast. We should just get out of here." And it takes some convincing for her to eventually get him to go in. And, and find the crew and let them know we should get out of here. Right. And it's also a nice, kind of, we'll get to her in a second, but it's a nice introduction to her because she clearly is, I think, the most idealistic of the group. And so it's she's, it, I think it's very intentional that she is the one to make that argument to mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's also got a lot at, at, at stake too with um, like her and another of the main characters, the ostensible leader. Um mm-hmm. Canaan are a couple. It's not explicitly stated if they're married yet or anything like that, but yeah, yeah they're definitely. She calls together. him love, yeah. which is definitely a topic we're going to get onto. Yeah. I also just want to point out I, we've mentioned Canaan as the leader here, and mm-hmm. I believe Hera is actually the leader because she's the captain of the ship. Yeah, but I mean, he's Spectre 1, but yes, yeah, she's Spectre 2. In the yeah. boat name. I, there's, like, questionable elements of, like, chain of command here, but at least, like, in terms of, like, she runs the ship, so she gives right. the orders when they're on the ship, 
Kanan maybe more of like the contact operations guy. Yeah, I, I feel like the two of them have some kind of joint leadership that we haven't really understood yet in terms of how they share that power. Mm-hmm. And like, there's five of them as well. It's it's not like some giant ship with right. a huge crew. Um, I think they can like, be maybe a little more diplomatic uh, right. in their running of things. Mm-hmm. Although Chopper never gets a say, poor guy. <laughs> um, so any other points about Ezra we want to make in terms of the way he's introduced? I, I, I did, I'll, just, I'll answer my own question. I did really like the way that they were fairly subtle about his force powers. Mm. And as the show goes on, he starts doing more and more, you know, things that are kind of like by comic book rules might be possible for a normal human, but seem like really good reflexes or really good jumping or whatever. He jumps real far in this one. Yeah. yeah. Well, but the thing is, like, as it goes on, I, I feel like his feats become more and more extreme to the point you're like, okay, that's not what a normal human kid can do. Yeah, but it, I, it's believable in the sense that, like, we believe we it, we could believe that Ezra doesn't know that he has force powers, even mm, like right. so. In the ghost, Ezra ends up finding because he's looking through for things to steal, street rat and all, um, and he ends up finding a holocron. Mm-hmm. Um, and while he's sitting in the imperial like brig uh ends up opening the holocron which i don't think he realizes is a thing that only jedi can do i don't even think he knows what like he doesn't even know what the holocron is it's got a message Mm -hmm. from obi-wan kenobi in there um that mentions jedi but yeah he's just kind of like oh neat i opened this little trick box thing here you go right yeah and it's, it's another great way of helping to frame it because the message is Basically, the continuation of what we see Obi Wan say at the end of, uh, uh, yeah, towards the end of <clears throat> uh, Revenge of the Sith, where he's basically saying like, "The Jedi have fallen, the Republic has fallen, but to anyone who can find this, the Force is still with you. Don't give up hope." Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Ugh, Obi Wan. No. Yeah. <laughs> in in some ways, very like. Not necessarily my favorite character from the Clone Wars, but but my like of the sort of super inspirational heroes, my favorite, and certainly the one that I am most stirred by. And I thought he was just the because it is I think the voice actor from the Clone Wars, and he was just perfect to be that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really liked Obi Wan in Clone Wars. I agree, not my favorite character out of like our group of heroes, probably one of my favorites. I feel mm-hmm. like I've got a new favorite character depending on whoever I'm talking about. But... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, to see him, and to see him just as this sort of, like, background character, kind of, like, place-setting sort of way, mm-hmm. um, is is really nice, because, like, we know he's there, it's cool, but it's not right. directly tying into that story of, yeah. like, Obi-Wan sure. and Luke. He's, and, yeah. he's used in and the same way that Vader is used. Mm-hmm. Right. Like a framing sort of. Yeah. Yeah. And I also like it because this is kind of more a theme of the show, but but what you said kind of helped remind me of it. This show feels a lot like Rogue One in that it's about the people below the main camera, you mm-hmm. know? And, like, mm-hmm. we don't know what was going to happen to them later, but, like, this isn't the, the heart of the Resistance. They're not going after the main princess who Darth Vader personally knows, you know? These are people who, like... You know, Agent Callus is good at his job, but he's not the director of the ISB by any means. He's probably like a, you know, third or fourth down level guy. Like, you get the sense that this is like, maybe things like that are happening on a couple of other planets. You know, this isn't the only one. Mm-hmm. Which I just really like in terms of like, the kind of story we're telling. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, so let's talk about uh, the the two leaders we're just getting into. Um, Hera or Kanan? Who wants to go first? Uh, I mean, I, I'll talk about um, Kanan. Sure. He is, A, he's voiced by Freddie Prince Jr., who fans of, you know, 1990s, 2000s <laughs> movies will remember from She's All That mm-hmm. and the Scooby-Doo movie. Uh, and he, he does a fantastic job voice acting here as Kanan. And he is, I think he, um, he is presented as the leader. But like I said, I, I feel like... Um, Hera is actually the leader as the captain of the ship, but he's certainly got the hero mold. And as we learn more about him, right, and the fact that he uh, has a lightsaber mm-hmm. and somehow is connected to the Jedi, like just adds to that mystique. Right, of this hero, you know, this Jedi in hiding. And uh, yeah, he's. I think he he is a good main character mm-hmm. to follow. Yeah, in that sense, and. I, I like him a lot as a character, and again as as the voice actor. So, to yeah, and I think that the, these two episodes really set him up as the sort of leader type, mm-hmm. hero type, um, and that like he is, you know, giving leading the operations right. for folks, making sure that the the people in his crew are taken care of or doing their jobs correctly. Um, isn't like a jerk about it but is still like really firm in his right like order giving no nonsense taking kind of attitude yeah and definitely is being set up that he's going to be like a really great mentor right for ezra yeah and i really like the character as well and i think i was honestly and maybe i should have picked up on this earlier the first time i saw it i was somewhat surprised to find out he was a jedi as well in, in, like I, at one point thought that maybe it was Hera's lightsaber that Ezra finds early, mm. in part because and I think this is very intentional and I love it. He does so many things that we have been told Jedi aren't supposed to do. You know, mm-hmm. first of all, like he calls somebody love, and they it, it, it's pretty clear I think even just that quick moment like that's not a like you're my best friend I love everybody kind of a thing. What's the whole point of the prequels? That Anakin was not supposed to be in love with someone. He has emotion. At a lot of different times. He he acts in emotional ways. He doesn't seem to be, you know, the calm, serene idea of what a Jedi is supposed to be. And and this might be a small thing, but I, I the first time I saw it, it made me kind of go back and research, and I, I was correct. He fires a blaster early on in the mm-hmm. movie and many times. Luke never fires a blaster at someone throughout the entire show. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, no. He does a couple times in the first movie... And then in Return of the Jedi, he grabs a blaster, and but then it's, like, thrown up into the air. But, you know, Obi-Wan tells him, like, lightsabers are better. The, you know, they're not as clumsy and random as a blaster. Obi-Wan talks about mm-hmm. how he hates blasters in the... Uh, yeah, it says Obi-Wan both times. I guess that fits. But, you know, it just... It, the, you can even put aside the blaster thing. To me, I think they very intentionally were showing him doing things that Jedi aren't supposed to be doing. And so it just sets me up in this kind of place of, like... So does that mean he's not going to be a good Jedi because he didn't learn? Or is it part of, you know, the theme of the Clone Wars that the three of us talked about so much about the problems of the Jedi Code? Like, it just it, it introduces so much promise with that character of directions they could go. Yeah, and it, I think it's a, it's a nice introduction, too, because we are pretty far removed from the fall of the Jedi. Right. Um, and so it's this sort of idea of the Jedi after the Jedi Order. Right. Um, and, you know, they're, they're no longer following this sort of strict monk-like 
rule of the Jedi that the Jedi Order has set down. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, yeah, to, to call him a Jedi might be a bit much. Callus does when he like mm-hmm. whips out the lightsaber as this big distraction tactic to make sure that they save all the Wookiees. Um, Callus is like fire at the, the Jedi. Jedi. Um, but maybe, maybe just like force sensitive, former Jedi. We learn more yeah. about his, his past and how he exactly right. came to be and this way. Is, but yeah. Doesn't he say to Ezra at the very end, I'm a Jedi and I, and you are very force sensitive and you could be as well or something like that. I thought he says to Ezra that I am a Jedi. Yeah. I think he, he does identify, like self identify as right. a Jedi. Um, but then like what Jedi means in oh, yes. this post Jedi world is... Yeah, kind of up for debate, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's a great um, point, because that, that's kind of the whole thing, is is any light side use... We know from the Clone Wars that you can be a dark side using Force user and not be a Sith. So mm-hmm. it seems to make sense that you could be a light side using Force user but not be a Jedi. But, yeah, uh, and, like, can you be a Jedi if you're claiming it, but there's no order around you, you know? Luke kind of was. He was the last Jedi. He claimed to be a Jedi. But, yeah, I think it's a... There's so much in that question that I think we get to explore. I hope we get to explore. Well, in this era, so I I don't think it matters as much whether someone was actually in the Jedi Order or what they call themselves. Right. Uh, what Kanan says is, you know, I'm, I'm going to give up the secret now. And he pulls out his lightsaber. Because in this world, in this post-Order 66 world, anyone who is carrying a lightsaber is deemed a Jedi, mm-hmm. and the Empire is going to crack down on you. Right. So, and, and like the skills he displays, I think, are full-on Jedi skills. Yeah. Like he's able to deflect yeah. blaster bullets. And like and dodge blaster bullets. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do think it's interesting the way that he carries his lightsaber is in two pieces, mm-hmm. two separate pieces, uh, so that I guess it doesn't look like a lightsaber until he puts them together, because he, he kind of just like wears the hilt on his hip and then like has the other part yeah it's definitely like as you mentioned from his blaster use it's not his like go-to weapon probably as this like Mm -hmm. keeping it on the dl situation um but yeah and not even like he doesn't even keep it on him at all times ezra ends up finding it in in the ghost and stealing it at the end um but yeah and i yeah it's oh i was just gonna say like we do hear kind of going back to that holocron message from obi-wan like part of what he says in addition to like trust in the force is like not like the age of the jedi is over don't gather at the force temples anymore like we're past that Mm -hmm. um so i think really pushing this idea of a new era for jedi a new hope perhaps yeah yeah i i think i think that's a really good way to see it and my memory is and part of this is uh I forget the name of it. I'll make sure to find it and be able to mention it next time. There's a great prequel novel um, that was written after this, but it takes place. Um, it's basically the novel about where um, Hera and Kanan meet each other for the first time. And it doesn't really have any spoilers for it comes later, so I think it's fine to talk about here. Uh, and one of the things it talks about is that Kanan has moments where he instinctually wants to use the force to protect himself or to protect others and has to kind of fight the urge to do that. And I don't remember if they specifically say this about the lightsaber, but the kind of sense I got of that is that maybe he also has a lightsaber in two parts because then he can't sort of like, if something startles him, his immediate instinct to grab his lightsaber and turn it on isn't going to work. You know, that he has to actually give it some thought. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, you me- you mentioned her. Do we want to talk about Hera now? Yeah, and she's so connected to him. I think the two of them are uh, obviously a pair in that regard, but she's also a very interesting, distinct character. What, what What's your going to take on Hera? Yeah, Hera Syndulla is a Twi'lek. Um, she's a pilot. She's the pilot of the ghost. Uh, and she's, yeah, I guess co-leader. Like, she and Kanan have very leader vibes together. Um, but she definitely takes this more reserved approach, I guess, mm-hmm. in that she's usually the one who's back on the ghost in this sort of mission control standpoint. Right. Um, and she gets, I don't know, like part of me thinks this is just because like, oh, she's a lady. So therefore she has mothering instincts, but it, she does feel like she's got this kind of more nurturing mm-hmm. role, especially to Ezra. Like she's very kind to him when he comes aboard and is quick to welcome him into the fold. Whereas like maybe Zeb and even Sabine to some extent, are a little more wary of him mm-hmm. and just, yeah, really advocating that Kanan be patient with him. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think it's possible to see her as the mother type and like the problems with that as like uh, one of the only two women characters in at, at this point. I think I saw it a little bit differently though, because I think, and granted though, I'm not as sensitive to, I, and granted though, I'm not, I haven't had to deal with that in my own life, so I may not be sensitive to it. So I'm by no means claiming that I'm right here, but I think that they, but I think they also did set up the idea that, in part, a lot of her feelings come because of her idealism. You know, even mm-hmm. Kanan, to some extent, like has some moments where he's like, do we have to go back and get the kid? We, for her, there's no question at all. You know, there's no question of we we are doing this not to get rich, not to just protect our own hides. We are doing this to fight the Empire. And I kind of took her caretaking of Ezra in that regard. But I think you're also probably right sure. that there, there definitely can be a, like, well, she's the woman, so she's supposed to be the nurturing, mothering character. Yeah. And I mean, like, there are 100% more women in this uh-huh. <laughs> uh, story than in, right. like, New Hope. Even, like, Clone Wars, really, we didn't see much of um, not <laughs> Natalie Portman. Why? Why did my brain not go there? Padme, there we go. I got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's, I mean, it's not even necessarily something that I'm upset about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do like Hera as this idealistic figure. So I want to say, like, I, I liked what you said, Matthew, about Hera's, I guess you said idealism, mm-hmm. right? Is that right? And, and I think she is kind of the moral center of this crew. Mm. And it's, it is unwavering in her morality and her, as Sarah, I think, said, her will to fight against the Empire. Because Kanan, despite being a leader, despite being some form of, you know, former Jedi, I think part of the Jedi identity at this point involves hiding. Mm-hmm. So I think he is going to be more reluctant to take action, whereas Hera seems to be more oriented on, no, we have to do this. Yeah. And I think part of what I got from her, and this is kind of why I'm, I'm hesitant to sort of name either one the overall leader, is that in that regard, they really balance each other. And they both seem to be aware of that, you know. She will poke at him when he's being a little bit too conservative, and he kind of pokes at her when she's a little too like, of course we have to rescue him. Who cares about the odds, you know? Um, I think they really, you know, and she kind of needles him a little bit. She teases him sometimes. They set it up as a very kind of like a good dynamic between those two. Yeah, and we'll certainly get to see more of their relationship and understand that. And I think it will be good for us uh, as viewers to follow along 
and watch for this dynamic of leadership yeah. and see like who emerges in different ways as a, as a leader of this crew. Yeah, and I don't think, we've sort of all been dancing around it, but I don't think the crew needs to necessarily have one specific right. leader, right? Like they can all take on various leadership roles. Um, and like, even, even to some extent, like we'll see Zeb and Sabine kind of right. step into that position in, in the future. Yeah, because the, the idea of Hera and Kanan as co-leaders, I, I, I like that. I'm and it is notable in, in this episode that they take a vote yeah. on mm-hmm. whether to go back to save Ezra. Yeah, I, thank you for reminding me of that, because, yeah, that's a very democratic, that kind of goes to what you're saying, Sarah, that it's not, you know, it's not a hierarchical thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think the other reason why it's important, and honestly, I hadn't thought of this until we were talking about it just now, and some of the points you brought up, uh, you both brought up, kind of triggered this for me. If this show is chronologically happening after the Clone Wars, you know, in terms of it, it was it was made much later, but you know, it's the next thing in that chronological order. Uh, oh, I guess Haunt the Solo movie, but you know my thoughts on that. Um, but like, it, it, it's fantastic. It, it's it is the second. It's it is the second major animated show. It's very clearly kind of a successor to the Clone Wars. And the major theme of the Clone Wars is that the Jedi are always the leaders. The Jedi are the generals mm. because they're Jedi. And so, again, it's just a really interesting thing of showing, like, the fact that Kanan is a, you know, Hera and Sabine and Zeb, they didn't grow up in a world where the Jedi are supposed to always be the leaders just because they're Jedi. And so he's not. And I think that's his, again, I think because Filoni is so intentional with these things, it's another just, like, little brilliant thing that they throw in. Uh, shall we talk about the fact that, as you said, there are a hundred percent more women uh, as part of the main group than there were in like the original movies? Let's talk about Sabine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sabine's great. Um, so Sabine is a Mandalorian. She's got the armor, but she's like decked it out in fun art style. She's got like cool colored hair. Mm-hmm. Um, she's about Ezra's age, maybe a little bit older, so like late teens, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, and she's. She's the demolitions expert on the team. <laughs> yeah, who and, loves and blowing stuff up. And graffiti, the graffiti expert as well. Yeah, she's uh, she's like the cool girl, um, and Ezra seems to have a bit of a, a thing for her mm-hmm. at the beginning. Yeah, yeah she, um, she reminds me a lot. It's a little awkward. Her the exchange was awkward. Yeah, yeah. She, she reminds me a lot of the character of Gogo from Big Hero Six. And mm. it's, it's okay. kind of a trope that you'll see often a lot. I, I think in, I think of particularly in regard to anime and like uh, Japanese video games, but I think also it, it is now a part of American video games often as well. But like she had like the haircut and the like multicolored hair and the kind of punkish, you know, like some of them are like very mad that um, Ezra is not listening to authority and, and then Hera is very supportive of him. She's kind of like, so you got a problem with authority. Okay, I can dig that. Like, she just has this very kind of, like, devil-may-care attitude that I'm like, I have seen this character in so many RPG video games. Um, yeah. Well, there's a name for it, you know. Oh, what's that? I don't know. Oh, You're looking at me like I know. I don't. So it's, it's called Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Mm-hmm. Oh. I don't think she's Manic Pixie Dream Girl. She's, like, but more badass than that. Yeah. I, I think she visually looks like that, you know, in terms of like the, the multicolored mm. hair yeah. and the armor and the, and the punk, you know, the, exactly. the graffiti and stuff. Uh, whether she becomes uh, that, we'll see. Yeah. And, and the you, I think what you're saying is like usually the, the archetype for that, because it's like a high school drama or whatever, like they're not going to be in combat. Mm. Well, so not that, even... adds a, that, that adds a different. Mm-hmm. 
guess good. not even necessarily in combat, but for me, like, Manic Pixie Dream Girl is also a bit flighty. Whereas, like, Sabine seems very sure of herself. Okay. Yeah. Well, she's going to do, That's like, fair. a bunch of backflips no, and kick your butt. Yeah. No, you're right. I think it is kind of an evolution of it. Mm, sure, yeah. yeah. She'd be the Manic Panic Dream Girl. Because she's got, like, the Manic go. Panic <laughs> hair, you know? Uh, the crazy hair like dye. It. But also, yeah, if you look at, um, I look up a picture of Gogo from Big Hero 6, the oh, hairstyle yeah, yeah. is so similar. Or even, um, who's the, in Resident Evil, the woman who works for Umbrella? Mm, I haven't seen that one. Alice? Yeah, Alice, the same haircut. The, like, bob, the slight angular bob. Yeah. Yeah. And Alice and it, is it, also it's that, a, like. It's a trope. They're, yeah. like, in Gundam, there's usually a, a woman on the team who's kind of, like, the cool chick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I found yeah. the other one I was thinking of also. Cause I, I just Googled Final Fantasy Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And there's okay. a number of arguments about different characters, but especially the character of Aerith uh, from Final Fantasy VII and the way they remade it also has a very similar kind of vibe. And she's kind of down to earth and, and you know, good at combat, but also kind of very, you know, out there and, and, and challenging things in a way that uh, our main he- our character is kind of drawn to. Uh, but I, again, I also really like that as part of that, she's the demolitions expert because I think that does very much break the trope, you know, in terms of especially being a woman who's like, and especially because it's not her being a woman, but also her being um, that kind of like punkish anti-authority thing. Like, you're right. Often you'd see that as flighty. She's the engineer of the group in that regard. And but she also does this thing where like when her bomb sets off and she doesn't get to see it, she asks if it was pretty. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry I missed it. I'm just like, okay, that's, there's a little bit of pixie girl there thing, but also it's awesome, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah. She's, yeah, she's very, she's the cool girl art student who, like, smokes cigarettes out behind the, mm-hmm. the classroom. Yeah. yeah. That, and then blows stuff up. And then blows stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the wrong art school, clearly, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't go to art school, but yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, anything else about Sabine? Um, I... Nothing we can talk about now. Yeah. yeah, she she gets good. She's she starts good. She gets good. Or yeah, Sabine's great. I, I will just say that I the first time I watched it, I groaned a little bit when I saw that like Ezra has this crush on her, and I was mm. kind of like, ah, don't like on the one hand, like cool, maybe every force user gets to have romance. That'd be fun. But also like, don't make this a like will they won't they show. Um, and I, I'm not saying anything about like, do they do that or not? Uh, but that was kind of the one sour note of the show, I think for me, but it's so quick that I, I was fine with it. Yeah. yeah. I, I groaned yeah. again. Cause it was like an awkward exchange, like typical teenager, like mm-hmm. attempted making. Yeah. Making a conversation. Yeah. 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 Hello. I noticed you're cool. Uh, let's go to the other organic member of the cast, uh, of the crew of the ship, uh, Zeb. Yeah. Carabas! Zeb Aurelius. Yeah. <laughs> he is the muscle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and we learn this in the, the next episode, but it's not really a spoiler. His species is Lasat. Right. And it's just like a, a big alien who can like punch stormtroopers and knock them out and has big guns. Yes, but cannot pass as a hairless wookie, yes. sadly. Although his attempt to do so and making a little like noise was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That. Yeah, like very very good comedic beats in this as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's So Zeb is the one who notices that, you know, Ezra has come to rescue them, but then gets captured by Callus, who's attempting to I guess ransom him mm-hmm. and they're like, if you don't stop, I'm going to take this kid. And then Zeb's like, oh, good job, kid, bye. Yeah. 
Um, and then, yeah, when they're like, well, we need to go back and rescue him. Seb's kind of like, do we though? Do we really need to do that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's, he's maybe seen as a little more ruthless than the rest of the, mm-hmm. the gang or more like Ezra in that he's concerned with saving themselves instead yeah. of like risking his neck for this kid they just met. Um, but classic, like, big guy, mm-hmm. like, once you get to know him. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, and I, th- I think that's part of it is that he wants to maintain this image yeah. as the muscle and is afraid to let his emotions show. Yeah. In some ways, it feels like if, you know, a person the size and skill set of Chewbacca acted like Han Solo. You know, it's, it's not quite the same. It doesn't have quite the same swagger. But a lot of the sort of, like, I'm out for myself here. And even then, like, I watched that scene again, knowing what was going to happen this time. And I, I mm. think you feel like, oh, God, no, a hero is supposed to go back and try. And the hero is certainly not supposed to kind of, like, tell them not to go back and try. But I'm not sure he's wrong, you know, especially in the term of, like, I might risk my life to save this other person. But do I want to put the lives of all five of us, plus the missions that we're doing, completely at risk Mm-hmm. To save this kid who's been kind of a jerk to us and wants to steal some of the cargo we were trying to steal. Yeah, he's, he's been a pain. Yeah, yeah, and like at, at this point, Zeb doesn't like they don't have the the, the Wookies, and like um, Ezra tells them later where to go find them. So it, it is like it's just the crew. But yeah, I, I mean, like I agree. It's not like I feel like if it were Sabine who had been grabbed by Callus instead, there's no way Zeb wouldn't go back yeah. for her. Yeah, it's a very like it's it's this sort of. Not the dark side of found family, but what can be the, you know, uh, either problematic side or totally understandable side. But that, like, your found family is very, very different from everybody else, you know, in terms of your loyalty mm-hmm. to them and, and what you'll do for them. Yeah. And yeah. Ezra's not part of the family yet. Yeah. To, to Zeb. Right. Yeah. And in fairness, of all the people Ezra's boat. a jerk to, Zeb's probably the top of the list, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they, like, end up sharing a. A room together too which is very like odd couple mm. yeah fun vibes there but yeah um and then of course we have the non-organic member of the crew a uh, chopper who uh, he's a droid he's the same kind of general like an i think he's, he's another astromech droid though a very different design obviously than r2 and i feel like they were very intentional that they made him he speaks in the same kind of language of like beeps and snoots that r2 does although a little bit different but he's much more expressive. He has these mechanical arms that he can use to gesture <laughs> or to wave in the air. His head can kind of shift and change. I, I felt like it was much easier to understand what he was saying than it was with R2. And then as part of that, he's, he's also really kind of a sarcastic jerk in some ways. Well, Chopper like, actually speaks. Mm-hmm. It, it's like wub-wub sounds, but they, they are words. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like... If anyone plays Animal Crossing, it's like how Animal Crossing villagers talk only lower pitched, mm-hmm. where it's like words that have just been distorted. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I love Chopper so so much. I think he's my favorite of the uh, the five main cast members. That's fair. Because well, he's got all like the fun sassiness of R two like cranked up another another few notches. Um, and he's he's hair is astromech, um, so they have like a fun relationship as well. Where she, and like Zeb can't understand him, so 
Chop will say some sassy things mm-hmm. and Zeb will ask <clears> for a translation and it's like, don't worry about it, man. Yeah. Don't. It's fine. He's cursing at you. Don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, I also love his little <laughs> mechanical arms and he just looks so exacerbated <laughs> a lot, exasperated a lot of the times. Yeah, he's great. His his name is like C110P, mm-hmm. which like if you include the dash in there, looks like the word chop. Oh, okay. I never realized where they got the yeah. name from. I didn't until I was watching with the subtitles nice. on. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Oh, he's just great. He's great. I love him. And as a legitimate member of the crew, when I mentioned mm-hmm. that they took a vote, Chopper voted. Yeah. Yeah. Chopper, Chopper's vote was yeah, like counted. a swaying yeah. vote. Yeah. It was a 2 2 tie. Which, um, if you think about how much R2 and C3PO have their own initiatives and feelings and thoughts, but they're both basically slaves of Luke or whoever he says to give command yeah. of them. And mm-hmm. it's not treated in a bad way because the show doesn't want us to... They, the show wants us to think about them as machines that a person can own even though they're sentient. And I feel like here they're much more like, no, actually, if they're sentient, then yeah, they get a vote. They, they, they're part of this. Yeah, Chop, Chopper is very much a person here. Yeah, I mean, he, he, I think he kind of leans towards pet in a sense because like we can't really understand him um and he does have this like being owned by Hera like asterisk by him Mm -hmm. but yeah I think he's definitely far more of a crew member than R2 and 3PO ever were um even though he's got yeah similar levels of sass and sentience Mm -hmm. I think maybe legal ownership for whatever permits and stuff you need but I, I don't know that Hera would be like, you're my droid, yeah. I own you, blah. Yeah, and I think that also speaks to Hera's character a lot, too, right. where she's like just a very compassionate right. person. No, I think it's a really good way to think about it. Um, any other last thoughts about the crew before then we get into the uh, uh, Imperial folks we meet, and then we'll close out? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I sense, uh, Riki, you want to chat a bit about Mr. Callus, so why don't we dive into that? Well, so... Earlier, you had mentioned that Callus is good at his job, and it's absolutely true, and I love that about this show, that he is not just like this bumbling, incompetent yeah. Imperial. He sets up this trap, and he, he gets them. Yeah. His, his plan works, and, and like in combat, like he's, he seems very competent, so just a great antagonist overall. Yeah. And like... <laughs> ruthless in a in a fun way yeah um like there's uh, uh the scene we referenced earlier where ezra jumps bonkers high is him going back to rescue one of the um baby wookies mm-hmm. or like child wookies um ezra ends up like jumping over a stormtrooper and then flinging him off of the this bridge Callus gets flung off of the same bridge a little bit later and finds that like they're both clinging to some of the bridge's support structure. And the stormtrooper is like, ah, first time dealing with a Jedi, huh? And Callus just like boots him into the abyss, which is like, yeah, Callus isn't the kind of guy you just have like fun banter with. He will, he will kick you in the face. And that's what I love about it because at the end, yeah, a lot of people kick you in the face. Callus kills that person. Like there's no way he lives through that fall. Oh no. And and that's a 
he kind of had become like a little like, yeah, you know what? You're trying to do your job. I get you. I don't like your job. But yeah, like I can understand where you're, oh, you're a murderer for no. Okay, cool. And and that, I, I thought that was such a good job of like making him a very likable character in a way. But then also at the very end being like, yeah, and if he's upset, he'll just casually kill one of his own people. Yeah, if we're like, I guess it's the imperial way, the imperial yeah. way, and um, if like I know, I know we said no, no more Disney references other than Star Wars. I oh, suppose. I never but, mean that. Um, that there's like a, I guess Peter Pan, as like when Captain Hook mm-hmm. just like shoots a guy because he doesn't like that he's singing. Yeah. Um, to to show that like he's fun, like Captain Hook is a fun kind of flamboyant silly character at times but he did just straight up murder a dude yeah. and i think they we're doing a similar thing with callus here where like he's fun he's like kind of conniving he's good at his job so you kind of want to like him but then yeah he just straight up murders mm-hmm. a guy kind of reminding us like no no he's bad yeah. i think he had seemed <clears throat> but in a fun way yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he seemed a little bit sympathetic to Ezra, even at one point. And, like, that might be fake, but it might, it, I, I, I did get a sense he was a little like, okay, you're a kid, you're caught up in this, I'm going to ruthlessly use you, but, you know, I can see where you're coming from. He also, I think, has, at least in these two episodes, the greatest plot armor that we've seen so far from a lot of Star Wars things. Like, he... There's two times where, like, I thought he was dead. One is, like, he fall. I think he falls a great deal, a great ways. And the other, he gets, like... You know, he fires a laser blast at uh, Kanan or Ezra, I forget which one, but they redirect it right back into his chest. And I was like, that That's... that kills people in most of the times. And, you know, I knew he was going to come back, but I was like, oh, okay. So Callus has some plot armor. Got it. <laughs> or he just has actual armor. Yeah, instead of like the plastic armor that the stormtroopers <laughs> are apparently given. Yeah. I mean, the look of him, he has a... He puts on a helmet that still, like, shows his face, mm-hmm. like, kind of like a, maybe like a Roman style, yeah. I guess. but it hides his mutton chops. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and he has the fantastic facial hair. Mm-hmm. Just a, a great character design. Uh, the voice actor, uh, I think it was David Oyelowo, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, it's, it's great in this role. So, all, all in all, Cal is fantastic. Uh, the Inquisitor, who we see just a you know a little taste of, mm. very menacing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we understand him to be some kind of Force user, Dark Side user, and he has like this long, thin, vampiric face uh, with, I think, glowing yellow eyes, or like red. He's a hologram, so it's tough yeah, to yeah. tell. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, bald. Like clearly not not human, but yeah, very like classic horror movie mm-hmm. monster. So yeah, the character designs um, for the villains is good. I also liked okay, so the stormtroopers are terrible still. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. still terrible shots. Um, at one point, yeah, they're just like shooting at Kanan before he has ignited his lightsaber. And he's casually dodging them. Like, oh, I think like that's showing showing Kanan using his force powers, though. Yeah. But yeah, there. I mean, there are other instances where, like, they're running down a tunnel, yeah, straight ahead of them, and they're just like, "There they are! Get them! Fire right. towards the left!" Yeah, yeah. Stormtroopers are not are, good at what they do. Yeah, but I thought, like, in this episode, 
TIE fighters were shown to be very effective. Yeah. I mean, the TIE fighters uh, wipe out a lot of X-Wings at the Battle of Yavin. Like, they're not terrible. Yeah. But, but especially, like, in terms of, like, as actual fighters, not, you know, not in a space battle, but in a, a ground battle against humanoids mm-hmm. with blasters, like, they're terrifying. Yeah. In, in a way, I think, like, TIE fighters have not been in a lot of other Star Wars media. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we also get a cool proto ATST walker. Oh, yeah, that's like right. A slightly different design. The, the chicken walkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not in this. This is in episode three. Huh? Is it? Oh. Yeah, it is. Oh, I apologize. Never mind. <laughs> that's, that's a spoiler that I'll allow to keep in. I think, no, they're like standing around. Are they? Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I, I just want to also, <laughs> let me ask you to this, uh, as we're kind of starting to move away from the character stuff and just some of the last plot things before we wrap up. When do you think Hera and Kanan realized that this Ezra kid might be Force-sensitive and wanted to test him? Because they, they kind of make vague references to it from fairly early on. Do you think they were already aware of Ezra when they did this, like, robbery? Is it just that the way Ezra behaved during the robbery and getaway and his incredible reflexes made them start to think about it, and that's why they set up some tests for him? When do you think that started? I think it was during the robbery and during the getaway specifically mm-hmm. where they're like, yeah, no. I, I was trying to watch for like, did he use any kind of force abilities? And I didn't see anything, but, but yeah, like the way he handles the speeder bike, right. I mm-hmm. think maybe tipped it off to Kanan. And then when he lifts the holocron, I think they're like, okay, he was drawn right. to that for some reason. What? And you're like, ah, yeah. And there they specifically talk about passing the test. My sense was that they kind of, they kind of set him up. You know, they wanted him to find the lightsaber or the, uh, the holocron or something like that. Or like at least didn't stop him from right. finding it, right? Yeah. Like we know from <laughs> other movies in the franchise that like these, like force sensitive objects or like force adjacent objects do, tend to lure in force sensitive people. Right. Yeah, Ray had the same experience of the lightsaber that called to her. Mm-hmm. Yep. That makes sense. Um, any other kind of last things you want to talk about before we do close out and then get into the spoiler section? I have one or two, but I want to let you all go first. Uh, I have, like, one minor gripe. Sure. Which is the animation of the Wookiees is so, so bad. Yeah. Uh, they're, like, Lego characters with stickers on them. But I think as a... like this. Um, this two-part episode, I think it aired as, like, a movie, um, sort of one go, mm-hmm. uh, probably as a pilot situation. So, yeah, like like I said before, I don't think they're dumping a huge amount of money into the animation budget, and it definitely gets better later, right. or you get used to it, and it's not as objectionable. But, yeah, that's my that was my one, like, yeah. yuck to the rest of this yum. That's fair. I, I will say also in terms of the budget, um, I hadn't realized who the actor was who was the voice of Kalis until you pointed out. Uh, David uh, Oyelowo, I'm probably horrible. Um, I think it's uh, uh, David Oyelowo. Um, he had been a major actor. Like he he had been in The Butler and had been nominated for a number of uh, Best Supporting Actor awards, not the Oscars, but a number of other groups. Um, he had had a you know ten year acting career. So th- that also tells me that like and I think some of the other voices we get here are voices I recognize. They're they they weren't just getting the like you know day rate you know, cheapest voice actor they could find, they, they were willing to put some real money into the casting of this. Well, they do a good job of, like you said, bringing in 
quality actors like David right. and Freddie Prince Jr. And also layering in the former voice actors from the Clone mm-hmm. Wars products. So it, it's just a, a fantastic mixing. Right. Just to give, uh, it happened later, but he's also the actor who played uh, Martin Luther King in the movie Selma. That's, I think, probably the thing he's Whoa. most known for. Yeah, I think the only thing I was going to mention is there's a scene where Callus tells the stormtroopers to search him and then detain him, talking about Ezra. And they search his bag and then walk right out. And immediately he, they, I forget what it was, but he clearly has something that he hid. And I was like, that's the holocron. Yeah. I was like, that's, that was a very bad job of searching him, guys. Yeah. Stormtroopers are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and, but they're like, stormtroopers are bad at their job in a way that is not nearly as annoying as the droids being right. bad at yeah. their jobs. Well, that, yeah. The little like Roger Roger guys. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. another comedic moment with probably those same two guards, prison guards, is that um, Ezra tricks them by, like, coughing, tricks them into, like, coming into the cell, uh-huh. and then they they run in, and he's hiding under the stairs and just, like, whoop whoops and, and locks them in, and they just look at each other before the scene cuts away. Yeah. Like, they don't even say anything, they just look at each other. It's perfect, yeah. perfect yeah. comedy. And, I, and it's, like, they're... they're for me, believably awful, and that we know that it, there's this sort of just like hasty folks who are maybe like hard up for money, right. not trained very well, viewing as disposable by the empire, just given this very well, cheap armor, given I don't no know. training, right? I, mean, and just I like, don't know. I, that was one of the things that the Bad Batch uh, established is that part of why they wanted to move mm-hmm. away from clones is that regular conscripts were much cheaper. And but at the same time stormtroopers are supposed to be the elite and like the infantry ground troops as depicted in the movie solo are, are just like the right. cannon fodder yeah so they, they should be better but they're not and it's funny you know i mean yeah i think like go ahead go ahead Matthew. we will late i was just gonna say like i <laughs> just a quick thing you go yeah, ahead you go we will later have you know in the movie a new hope which only takes place five years later or so obi-wan says you know, those blasts couldn't have been from uh, the Sand People. Only uh, Imperial Stormtroopers are so precise. In one of the statements that is the most, like, tell-don't-show of the entire series because it's completely wrong. Um, but they at least are trying to say that Stormtroopers are supposed to be good shots. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the, the, the problem that we've come across, right? Is, like, Stormtroopers were initially supposed to be this elite guard, best of the best, cream of the crop. But over the countless movies books graphic novels etc etc video games that we've had they're not so i think now at this point in the star wars franchises we're, we're sort of playing into that or the writers are sort of yeah. playing into that yeah. idea of like they're maybe not so great yeah. i mean there's a scene, well, scene of mandalorian that i think openly mocks that where they are doing like having a fun competition to shoot like a can and they both miss from like 10 mm, feet away mm-hmm. yeah. one thing I love about Stormtroopers. I, I don't know if I've mentioned it on this podcast, so I'm, I'm going to say it here, is that whenever a group of Stormtroopers comes across the heroes, they always shout something like, there they are, blast them, mm-hmm. before starting to shoot, giving the heroes a chance yeah. to like turn around and shoot first or like jump to the side. It, it happens over and over. And, and it's just like part of their mm-hmm. incompetence. It's like, you come across the heroes, their backs are turned to you, just shoot them. Yeah. I think we did, I do, I don't know if you and I just talked about this, or we talked yeah. about it on the podcast, or I was talking about it on one that you weren't on, 
but yeah, this idea of like they were purposefully trained to say that in it by like some sort of counter spy oh, person, right? Is this like way of hand waving away why they do this? Because it makes no sense. Yeah. The Galen or so of stormtrooper mm-hmm. training. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I will say though, you know, one thing we talked about during the Clone Wars a lot was that the fact that our heroes were most of the time killing droids, which, you know, are sentient, maybe should have been treated better. But by the way, the show's set up, like, they're okay to kill, you know, in a way that, like, when they kill Geonosians or other, like, uh, non-organic uh, species that aren't built and that are, in the show's perspective, at least, you know, sentient beings with, with life, um, you know, that was always seen as harder. And I remember that was one of my concerns the first time I watched the show is I don't want them to be fighting clones, but are they really going to make a kid's show or kind of like, you know, a young adult show where our heroes are killing living beings, you know, human beings or, or any kind of, you know, uh, species. And so the fact that Ezra, like, kills stormtroopers five or six minutes into it, I was like, okay, this is we're dealing with some more adult stuff in this. And I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I mean, it's only rated like y7 they think like it's not yeah it's ostensibly a children's show um but yeah i think like we you do have that desensitization of the stormtroopers never not wearing their helmets right right? so they do kind of come off as robotic in a way that they all look the same they all have that faceless armor um and they're very like replaceable right like every stormtrooper looks like every other stormtrooper right and does just a good a job at shooting. Yeah. I mean, it's a very fascist, you know, the death of the individual oh, in favor yeah. of the state kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's about all I had to say about the episode before we go into spoilers. Anything else from either of you two? Nope. Cool. Yeah, just just spoilers. And, and for those, uh, this has been a long episode. We're going to try and keep most of the episodes uh, shorter than this. But, you know, these shows, it just has so much. This one especially, we had so much to talk about because there's so much to say. Uh, we're going to try to keep them shorter, but no promises because there's just so much to talk about with these episodes because they're so rich. <laughs> um, let me just do a quick sign-off, though. Um, for Riki and Sarah, if folks are interested in kind of learning more about you and what you're doing or kind of finding your thoughts on the internet, where can they go? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RikipediaGo. Um, and I am on Instagram where you can see all of my art endeavors, yes. Sarah Hayashi art. They're pretty incredible. I'm, I'm not an artist at all, but I've been very impressed with some of the stuff you posted. So definitely check that out. Of course, this podcast is part of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Um, go to strandedpanda.com. You'll find all those podcasts there. And you can also go to Superhero Ethic. Uh, sorry. You can also go to theethicalpanda.com and find all the specific projects I'm directly connected to. I've talked about it a few times already. I'm not going to repeat it, but we are doing the review contest right now. If you go to strandedpanda.com and click on the button for review contest, you'll find out how you can win an Oculus 2 or a Nintendo Switch just by writing some five-star reviews for this or any other show on the Stranded Panda Network. So uh, to everybody who is signing off now, thank you so much for being a part of this. We're literally looking forward. And, you know, let us know what you think. Contact us at uh, any of the ways, TheEthicalPanda, Twitter, Facebook, at gmail.com, contact form on the website. Let us know what you think. Are you super excited to be diving into Rebels? Have you never seen it before? Would love to, love to, love to hear what you have to say. So please do that. We'd love some feedback. And uh, for everybody who's going to stick around with the spoiler section, we'll get into that in one second. And for everybody else, thank you so much for being a part of it. Have a good day. And now we'll go into spoilers in three, two, one. Ezra and Sabine never get together. And I was so happy about that. (laughs) 
Yeah, but some people who do get together and have their first meeting happens in this episode, and oh my goodness. That's which that's your spoiler, Matthew. Not <laughs> not Kanan it, is Caleb Doom it, from Bad Batch. Oh, I mean, yeah, there's so many others like that that are true for sure. But because we talked about that one moment, I had forgotten Mm -hmm. like how much that moment had worried me. And the fact that it never happens just was like, oh, yes. Yeah. And like, I do like Sabine really grows into her like badass girl Mm -hmm. persona. Um, And yeah, and her, she and Ezra end up having more of like a brother sister relationship, which I think like plays into this like found family Mm -hmm. that's being set up here in the beginning right especially because with both sabine and hera and a little bit with um zeb but especially with those two the the times at which their efforts with their found family and their uh you know connections to their real not to their real to their biological families with whom they have strained Mm -hmm. relationships those are some of my favorite episodes with both of them we really get to Mm -hmm. explore that in some great ways yeah, so we did. We got to see uh, a little bit of Hera's past in this latest uh, Clone Wars offering, the Bad Batch, uh-huh. which we did some reviews for. Um, yeah, and then it turns out like Sindula, the Sindulas of um, the twi- planet's not called Twi'lek. It's Ryla. Ryla. <laughs> thank, thank you. Um, like her dad's the the de facto leader. Yeah. Like not the prime minister. So he's the freedom fighter. Yeah. He's the um, leader of their resistance. Yeah, but then like doesn't the the prime minister ends up like losing an election to him because he's popular yeah. more popular with the people? He he winds up having they a, have a senator. Yeah, he winds up having a major they role a senator in politics. Or... I don't remember exactly what it is, but he mm-hmm. he's kind of gone respectable, but not entirely. Mm, okay. Yeah, but the senator is still Orn Orn Freetop. Right. Yeah. Who's then mm-hmm. they set up Cham as and I realize I shouldn't have cut you off before Sarah I, I forgot where everything falls in the timeline because Bad Batch happens before this so that's not a spoiler for it at all so yeah uh, thank you for bringing that up and I shouldn't have I, cut you off there well oh I mean it's I mean it's it's kind of weird because like if you haven't seen if you're watching things like chronologically when they came out right like if you haven't because Bad Batch comes out after Rebels, so I think like those episodes of Bad Batch assume that you've seen Rebels and that you know. Because like when we do get to the like uh, Hera returning to her home planet and interacting with her dad and all that yeah. stuff, like it is quite a yeah. Because it, I, I think we should play it in a way that if you are watching Rebels right mm-hmm. through from the beginning, you don't know these things. Yeah, I think I think it's a, I think it's a better you, way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, because the way they play it on this show is that it is a surprise yeah. that she is the daughter of, of Cham Sindri. Yeah, and like if if you've made it this far, you're obviously interested in spoilers. But if you have any opinions on like what we should do regarding the yeah. spoiler section, write us. Let us know, please, and thank you. And and um, just to kind of circle back, also, Sarah, when you talk about the couple that has their first meeting here, I, I believe you're talking about Zeb and Agent Callus. My gosh, what a story that must be for their children. Oh, boy. Oh! <laughs> Remember when you tried to kill me multiple times and we you abducted you my friend? told you there were spoilers and you're still listening, yeah. so it's your fault. Oh, yeah, I just, like... Because, like, their arc is one of my favorite... It really is. ...possibly in all Star Wars. Um, just... Yeah, I mean, because also it's one of the very few examples of a homosexual relationship that we have in Star Wars. 
Um, it's an actually good villain redemption. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's some people who claim that, like, it, it is, to be very clear, they never kiss on screen. They never, like, hold hands. They never officially say these two are romantically into each other and are now connected. But by the end, they're doing a lot of things. Like, Zeb brings Kayla's home to meet his family, for God's sakes. You know, like, they're, they're yeah. pretty clearly, it, it's kind of like a Legend of Korra situation where I don't know if it's because they wouldn't allow them to or they shouldn't want to. They don't explicitly put it on screen, but they go pretty damn close to it. I'd say it's more explicit than Legend of Korra. Because um, I had, I mean, granted, I was on severe painkillers because it was right after my surgery when we watched Legend of Korra. But I had to be, like, told mm, that's about right. the, like, relationship in Legend of Korra. Whereas this, I just was like, yeah, yeah, that's 100% what happened. Yeah. Um, and, like, the writers say that that's what they think happened. But, again, like, because of wanting to sell shows to China, I guess. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure the reason. But yeah, it was never, it's never explicitly stated, but it's heavily implied. Yeah. The other really interesting thing about that, I think, is that I'm watching this now knowing that eventually we find out that Callus is actually a spy and is helping the rebels. And, you know, then eventually he's outed as a spy and he joins the rebels. And clearly, I think we're supposed to think that at this point in time, he doesn't feel that way yet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm going to be very curious to try to watch for signs of when do we... Because th- to this day, I don't know if the writers knew from, you know, day one that he was eventually going to be that, or if they wrote him as a really bad villain for a while, like a really well-written re- villain, but a pretty terrible person, and then decided, well, but what if he changes sides? And, and I remember being very, this time I was very surprised to watch he just flat out kill a person for no reason, except that he's a little bothered. Because I was like, oh, that's the guy who becomes our hero, one of our heroes lately. That's, that's a real, that's a real journey he goes on. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I if they did imagine, like, have this hall planned out from the beginning, wow. Because, yeah, like, this is, he's, he's full on bad guy. Um, and... Yeah, I do. I think it's probably like the in the cave with Zeb after that encounter that he decides to become a spy. But like again, I'm also gonna be watching for yeah. it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like, he's set up to be the big bad, and and I think like what Riki was saying about his redemption arc being so powerful because of that because it's not this like pulled back. Yeah, like I don't think he is a spy at this point mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. I think it's very true. I agree. And I think we'll have to watch for this, right? But part of it is that eventually there are other bigger bads introduced. Mm. You know, like the Inquisitor is going to come in. Your fave. Uh, the, the governor, mm-hmm. I think, is, is pretty bad. Yeah. And then, yeah, a certain admiral shows up. <laughs> I think. Well, even, even Vader yeah. will yeah. show yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... The comparison of evil, I guess, mm-hmm. and being shown, you know, what, what true evil, quote unquote, mm-hmm. looks like. I, I I hope we do see that moment where he kind of like watches yeah. someone do something and has like a shocked face. Yeah. And like like you mentioned earlier, uh, Matthew, Callus is just kind of like a low level baddie in the grand scheme right. of the entirety of the empire yeah yeah we're not seeing the start of the rebellion we're seeing like one little group of people causing one little bit of problems you know 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's mostly the fact that there are Jedi present, or at least Force users, that cats into the attention of, you know, the Inquisitor and, and then eventually other people. Mm-hmm. The other thing I was going to say, Ricky, because I'm glad you kind of mentioned that we're going to get all these different Imperial folks. Part of what I really like about this show is they really make the, they flesh out the Empire in a lot of ways. Um, you know, in the original movies, I think intentionally, I don't think this is bad, I think it helps. They're presented as, you know, the, the, like you said, the stormtroopers are all faceless. The, the tie pilot, tie fighter pilots are all faceless, and the, you know, people who have faces, like the imperial military, are all just like you know straight up mustache twirling, one hundred percent bad guys. Maybe not Admiral Piet, you know, in, in Empire, but like most of them, especially in A New Hope, are just the worst of the worst. And they're ne- they might debate about the Force, but they're all just unquestioningly loyal to the Empire and to the Emperor. I really like that in this we get to see, you know. Callus is almost more of a, he strikes me almost like more of a Javert type, you know? It's not that he is Mm. super loyal to the Emperor himself or the Empire itself. He's just loyal to law and order, and he thinks rebellions are bad. And, you know, with a governor, we'll meet someone who's just out for herself and some of these other figures. Everybody has their own agenda, and I, I just feel like that we needed the Empire to be fairly one note in the original movies, but I love that we really flesh it out here. Yeah. Yeah, Callus is very good at his job, and like, I think for for some of the like face characters on, like the Death Star and stuff like that, you could make the argument that they're just like doing their jobs. Um, but yeah, the 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 Callus is good at his job, but also knows he's a baddie, I guess, in this in this way that like, like Javert is doing it for this greater good of like law and order, right. and you know, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's never explicitly spelled out, but I also feel like him being ISB is important Mm -hmm. because what you were saying, Matthew, like most of those characters are in the, in the military, right? which ISB is kind of part of the military, but not directly. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's probably some kind of distinction there, which, uh, you know, Callus has a bit more personal agency. Right. Right, is able to act on his own accord, uh, and then maybe he sees a little more stuff about like what actually happens at the street level with how the the empire treats people. Right, mm-hmm. and and I think there's a way you could see that, and I don't know this, but like Callus to me comes off as like late thirties, maybe early forties. You know, he's a person who has, you know, he's not old, but he's had some experience, some lived experience, and <clears throat> that means that you know this is only fifteen years after the fall of the republic, and to most people's perspectives, the Republic didn't fall, it changed. And so a lot of the military officers under the Republic just became Imperial officers. And a lot of the, mm-hmm. like, to me, you know, uh, what was the name of that guy who was kind of very blustering and ridiculous, but kind of wonderful, who was investigating things on behalf of the, the police in Coruscant? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, like... Uh, I can't remember his name right now. Whatever yeah. it is, like we know that there is like a Republic, you know, s- investigative force of some kind, and I, mm-hmm. I could see Callus either like maybe he's young enough that he didn't actually join until it became ISB, but he grew up kind of maybe idolizing the people who were under the Republic, or maybe he was part of the Republic and then it just became ISB, and he's like, well, I still want to do Law and Order. The person giving the orders changed, but I'm just gonna you know do the right thing as I see it, and. Yeah, I mean, honestly. So what I would I would love to see as a backstory to Callus's character oh, yeah. is perhaps 
him being mentored by Ularin, mm. who was an admiral in the Republic, mm-hmm. and then we know that he he joined he continues on you know in the Imperial mm-hmm. uh, Navy as you said, and he actually joins ISB, and he is supposedly like one of the characters on the Death Star. Yeah, yeah, it's this kind of like banality of evil thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where you you go from this one ostensibly quote unquote good government to the bad government but the people on the inside like they're just changing their business cards and like the plaques on the door right but but that could be a way in which you establish that you know he was well trained by by an expert Mm -hmm. but also perhaps was given some lessons in morality that stuck with him because Mm -hmm. like the the ularn we saw was you know a good person right and the the way that character might develop in the empire is like he has to keep doing this job but find small ways to help people. Well, especially because... Right, like, that's that's a way we could believe that happening. Especially because I think the Clone Wars, the 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 prequel movies being, I think, very bad. Other people disagree, and that's fine. But I don't think they do a good job of selling the idea that Palpatine, Palpatine can... I don't think they do a good job of convincing the audience that Palpatine convinces everybody in the Republic like that this is happening, you know, because it seems so obvious, you know, this guy is like, I am, we're now declaring the galactic empire. Like, especially cause it's referencing things in our own world. We're like, okay, clearly he's a fake. I've been recently reading the Republic commando books though, which were written before the clone wars uh, TV show, but about the same, a lot of the similar themes. And one of the things that those books do very well, they're about clone troopers is established that by the end of the at the end of the Clone War, they really don't like the Jedi, and they have had very good reason not only to like hate the Jedi, but to suspect the Jedi and to think that because Palpatine is like giving everyone these crazy orders and it's kind of like the war should have been over a while ago, but they keep doing things that don't make sense, and they don't know he's the one giving the orders. They just see the Jedi running all around, and the point of all this being that. We get to a point in those books, uh, if you don't want to be spoiled on Republic Commandos, skip ahead like two minutes here. Um, But we get to a point in one of the books where Order 66 is happening and our heroes are not helping carry it out because they want nothing to do with the Republic anymore. But when the choice is to help protect Jedi who are fleeing from Order 66 or to join in the fight against them, they join in the fight against them. And, And the books are so well done that you fully believe why they think this is the right thing to do. Uh, and so my only point here, coming back at a spoiler, is it feels to me like those books and some of the other properties that happened, like The Bad Batch as well, did a lot more to remind me that, yeah, most people, if you're not in Tarkin Town, if you're not here, the Clone Wars are over. Things are better. The corruption of the Republic is gone. Like, the trains are running on time, to use you know, one of my favorite illusions. Like, I... I get mm. why someone like Callus might think, you know what? Actually, things are better than they were. And it's only once he has to really f- see just how bad things are that he starts to change his mind. Yeah, and, like, the the Jedi were not good military leaders. Yeah. Like, they may have had good intentions, but they were bad at what they did. And, I mean, Palpatine manipulated them into doing it. But, yeah, from an outsider's perspective, or, like, someone in that system of government looking at the Jedi and being like, wow, those guys sucked at their jobs mm-hmm. to a like lethal degree. Yeah, yeah, they all need to go. 
be like, oh, okay, I've come across this Jedi. I'm going to call it this Inquisitor. Like, we're going to yeah. get this under control. Like, these guys have stolen a bunch of stuff. They've gone and they've, like, let out a bunch of prisoners. Like, they're not they're mm-hmm. not good. we got to get them under control. Yeah. All right. I think that's where I can wrap up. Do you have any last spoiler comments you want to make? Cool. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> we've done our sign-offs and stuff. Friends, I am so excited that we're doing this together and uh, can't wait for next episodes. So talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs> Perfect. Yay. Yeah.